Welcome to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast. It's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. My name is Jeff, and today on the podcast, we have Linda Nemec Foster, writer, poet, educator, and just a traveler of the world and a sharer of insights uh, that could fortify our capacity for empathy, especially with this latest collection of prose poems titled Bone Country. Out on Cornerstone Press, we're about to listen to an interview with Linda Nemec Foster. This is her second time on the podcast. Uh, Linda has published 12 collections of poetry, including The Blue Divide, Amber Necklace from Gdansk, and Talking Diamonds, and many, many more. Her work has appeared in magazines and journals such as The Georgia Review, New American Writing, and very recently, Best Small Fiction Anthology 2022, which features a poem that is in this new collection of Bone Country. We're over here in Ferndale, of course, on the east side of Michigan. Linda is more closer to the west side, Grand Rapids and Kalamazoo. She is actually the first poet laureate of Grand Rapids between 2003 and 2005. She's also the founder of the Contemporary Writer Series at Aquinas College which was started in the late 90s, which is also something that we get into in our interview. Uh, I've always loved Linda's poems, and I was really excited to see this new collection, which brings together, it starts from this idea of a travel log. These are really ruminative essay-like pieces. They are only a page long and often shorter, sometimes half a page, and they are recounting these scenes that Linda saw on her travels through Europe, these people that she met, these very intimate, vulnerable, raw, intense moments, beautifully rendered with her words here in Bone Country. And we're so glad to have her back on the podcast. So we have some information at the end of this podcast about upcoming appearances that Linda will be doing, and we'll have some more information in our show notes. Here's our chat with Linda Nemec Foster. Start there. Tell us about what distinguishes this collection and and how you see these pieces. Am I am I in that neighborhood lyrical essay? Yeah, one critic has called it that. Prose poems, flash fiction, micro fiction. I mean that that genre is very fluid. And let me tell you that Bone Country is my first collection of flash fiction prose poems. The the editor at Cornerstone Press at University of Wisconsin calls it prose poems. So that's where we're going to go with that description. But it is my first full-length collection of that genre after 12 collections of poetry. But this isn't the first time I've explored this genre. In my very first full-length collection called Living in the Fire Nest, that came out from Ridgeway Press way back in like the late 90s, like 96, 97. That's M.L. Liebler's Press. And the last part of that book is 24 prose poems called History of the Body and how I wrote those. So this isn't like a totally new genre for me, but uh, it's the first time I've devoted so much time to it. And with History of the Body, I had just finished my MFA program at Goddard College in Vermont. That was in 79 when I graduated. That program is now at Warren Wilson College in North Carolina near Asheville. But after I had done this two-year intensive MFA program, studying with people like Liesl Mueller, Stephen Dobbins, Louise Gluck, before she won the Nobel Prize, she was our faculty, Raymond Carver, Donald Hall, Heather McHugh, Ellen Bryant Voigt, 
I had two years of that, you know, intensive training. And after I graduated, Jeff, I couldn't write. I had this tremendous writer's block. And it went on not only for days, weeks, months. And I thought, what's happening? At the same time, I became pregnant with my first child. So I gave myself a little assignment like I would give my own students. I said, pick the genre. And I'm thinking, I, I don't want to worry about line breaks or stanza breaks or rhyme, rhythm, meter. I am going to look at writing in prose, but short prose, prose poems, short prose poems, uh, like a paragraph, not more than 300, 400 words, not even a full page, not even indented. They were just block paragraphs. And so that was the form and the content was going to be a body because my body was leaving. I mean, my body was not the one I remembered as, as this pregnancy went on. So I invented a body that would always be permanent for me, always be universal. So I had things like, you know, uh, history of uh, history of the bones, history of the navel, history of the cold sore, history of the breast, history of the back. And they weren't anatomically correct. It was my metaphoric imagination envisioning this landscape of of a body that would never that would never change. Mm-hmm. So that's how I started my journey with the prose poem. And then I found out later, um, after I was done with that project, that many uh, people have written prose poems way back from uh, Baudelaire in France in the 1800s. And then you go into the modern era and you have the wonderful Central European poets like uh, Charlie Simic, who recently passed, uh, Zbigniew Herbert, uh, the Polish poet who wrote a, a great sequence of prose poems called Miss, Mr. Cogito. And it's his little alter ego, Mr. Cogito in hell. Mr. Cogito, you know, goes to the market. Wonderful, succinct prose poems. And that is what those who those were my models, Simic and Herbert. So um, I was very honored when someone read this book for a review that isn't out yet and uh, said they remind these poems reminded them of that legacy of the prose poem in Central and Eastern Europe. And I was I, you know, I was honored and thrilled because uh, those were my role models. Let's talk about these poems in a way for readers who haven't seen the book yet and haven't haven't opened it yet. Um, I I could clumsily describe them, but they're certainly very central to location and traveling through Europe and uh, Mm -hmm. in a way kind of these studies and the way you in which you describe that those previous poems where you were talking about your body, the, that seems to be uh, a commonality. This this uh, starting from a place of curiosity and studying and uh, slowly painting scenes of yes. often of people you've met. Tell us about this right. and, and when they were written. Yeah, well, this is an interesting collection. It started as a project that didn't go the way I thought it would go. And before COVID, um, my husband and I did a lot of traveling. Uh, as you may know, or some of your audience may know, um, all of my family is from Central Europe. That's why I have such an affinity for that part of the world. Uh, my uh, grandparents, my father's parents, my mother's parents were all born in uh, southern Poland, south of Krakow, near the mountains that divide Poland with Slovakia. And so I've been to that landscape at least nine times. 
Uh, I'm going back again this summer, and I'll tell you why I'm, I'm going uh, uh, in a few months. But uh, getting back to our traveling that inspired Bone Country, uh, when we started traveling in 95, uh, we've been to uh, not only you know Poland, but uh, Slovakia, the Czech Republic, Austria, uh, and then Italy, Ireland, Spain, um, Istanbul, Greece. So uh, a lot of, well, all of the book is about that landscape. So it's not about the American landscape. It's about something very, very different. But the sensibility, uh, the voice is definitely the other. In other words, the American is the alien. The American is the foreigner. The American is the person that really doesn't belong in the landscape, but is trying to, uh, you know, connect with that with that landscape in a very singular way. And when I started traveling in Europe, I would keep um, a travel a, a travel journal, a travel log. This is how it started. And so <laughs> here I am every day writing in my journal these long entries, much longer than what we have in Bone Country, these long entries about, you know, what I ate, what I saw, and they became quite boring. They became these long description, descriptions of very minutiae, uninteresting things. And I realized that I was spending more time doing that every day than living in the landscape. And I thought to myself, this ain't working. This just is, is not working. So I decided, like with a history of the body, to give myself a little assignment. Linda, have your journal, but every day write one page. Just one page and concentrate on one thing, whether it's a person or a place or a color or a flower or a plant or a building. One thing. And that's how it began. And I ended up with maybe 150 of these over the course of my travels. I didn't do it all in one trip, but over the course of the travels, I had quite a few journals, some complete, some not, some still have empty pages, but I amassed about 150 of these. And I thought, what am I going to do with this? What am I going to do with this stuff? And um, there is a very good colleague of mine, a good friend who is so, she is amazing with the genre of prose poetry. Her name is uh, Kathleen Maguki. And actually, she's one of the blurbers uh, of the book. Um, and I went to her and I said, you know, I need, I need some advice. And I said, I need you know, I told her what I did. I told her this project and I said, but I need someone to help me get it into shape. And I, I didn't know how to do that. So what we did, we had a very intensive three and a half years. And it, it, it's from, I think it was from February of 2016 to August of 2019. We met every other week uh, in Grand Rapids at uh, Schuler Books. And we met in the cafe there, uh, which is our independent bookstore, sort of like um, Grand Rapids' answer to Literati in, in Ann Arbor. And so uh, we met every other week, sometimes for two hours at a time, 
uh, just to go over these. And I, w- I wouldn't bring her the journals. That would be too much. But every time I brought her three to five pieces that I had revised, that I had typed up, that I've looked over, and then we did the workshopping of that. And that's how the collection, I mean, I talked about the beginning of the creation, but that's how the collection, the creation of the book and manuscript came to be. And so, um, like I said, we worked quite regularly. And then when we were done, you know, I had about 90 of these. And I said, well, you know, Kathleen, I have 60 more. She says, let's stop here. This is a good length for publication. Let's stop here. And then it took us a couple of months to sequence it because that was that was hard having you know 90 of these and we we used a big table at the cafe and had them all you know uh fanned out you know how you choose what you choose to go first second third you know how do you group them according to place according to color according to image according to a person so that was a, a, another challenge. But we finished in August of 2019 because in October of 2019, I spent a whole month in Poland. I was asked to be poet in residence for a university there in southern Poland, uh, the University of Bielsko-Biała, which happens to be Grand Rapids' sister city in Poland. And they very graciously invited me to be their poet in residence for a month. And so I wanted this done not necessarily accepted for publication, but I wanted the project done before we left. And we left, the, the project was done, we left, we came back. And then it took me about um, a year to start sending it out for publication. And actually, uh, the majority of the pieces have been published in, in other places. And that's a, that was a real gift, because sometimes that doesn't happen so readily. But I would say a good... Uh, 70 to 80% of the pieces have been previously published. And then after that, I, after that, uh, I started uh, uh, looking at places to submit the manuscript. And I was amazed the positive responses I got. I mean, before it was accepted for publication, it was a finalist or semi-finalist in like two or three major uh, national competitions. So I knew that it was, I, I was on the right track. I wanted to talk more about sequencing because that does seem to be key here, especially since a lot of these poems are quite unflinching, quite uh, raw at times. I think that there is a word on the back and bringing up the blurbs that that mentions the word melancholic. And I think that is happening. But uh, yeah, there's there's a one two punch that I was just skimming through here when it's Amber Museum and Gdansk into Irish guest at the wedding in Krakow, and those yeah. were uh, quite a quite a double punch there. But I, I yeah. imagine that the sequencing was was a delicate balance of the mood and tone and everything. But uh, before we get into the sequencing, can you speak a little more on how these are just so real and raw and unflinching, and yeah. certainly yeah. not not the not not postcard tourism not pictures of the eiffel tower not not yeah not at all very not at all yeah and i think um i I was uh especially impressed with what matthew gavin frank said in, in his review and i was blown away he was the first review that i got uh and it was like 
grow. And I don't, I met him only two or three times. And what's great about if you, you were going through the process of a book publication and you get blurbs, don't just ask your friends, ask people you respect, ask people whose work you, you really uh, admire and see what they say. And that's what I've always done when I reach out for blurbers. And of course, with Kathleen Maguki, she knew the manuscript so well, she wanted a blurb, but she was honored a blurb. But at any rate, looking at the sequencing, I wanted that first one, T in Istanbul. What does the speaker do? The speaker watches. And that sets the tone of the whole a book is paying attention to every little thing. And it's amazing if you do that, anyone can be a poet and writer because this life, wherever you are, whatever landscape, is quite amazing. It's quite, and this is what Baudelaire and Charlie Simic and Zbigniew uh, Herbert taught me in their prose poems. You just, or any work, just pay attention. It's just out there. So the very first one, and we were debating which one should be first. And I remember it was a cross between um, T in Istanbul and in the Old Town Warsaw, which is the third one. And you see all these different things happening in, in the central square of Warsaw. But we decided, I decided to go with T in Istanbul because it's a definite refrain of I watch him I'm drinking this tea and I'm watching this guy and this is this is the gateway to the entire collection of just watching observing paying attention and being kind of part of the landscape but not really so that's a little bit of a discordant thing and I think this is what Matthew Gavin Frank was talking about mm -hmm. and um, he when he uh, compare the book to the early works of Jim Jarmusch, the uh, phenomenal independent director. Uh, Stranger Than Paradise is one of my favorite, favorite movies. And when he um, compared it to that kind of vibe, uh, I thought, thank you. Thank you. I think every museum, that feels like a, a bit more of a private moment. I can't suss out whether or not you might be referring to a statue, but then the Irish guest is almost like someone's actually, you're no longer a watcher. They are directly addressing you. And it's, it's, yeah. it's, oh, it's yes. really, yeah. Yeah. so and I really like those poems together. Thank you. And, uh, and, uh, sometimes in this collection, the, the narrator appears and sometimes it's a different narrator. The narrator appears. Sometimes they don't appear. Sometimes they're just a, a quote unquote uncasual. I don't want to say the casual observer because there's nothing casual about these these observances, but the non-casual observer. But in um, Amber, and they are all based on experiences. I didn't like totally make up everything, but the Amber Museum in Gdansk, there is a place there. It's a amazing museum and it's housed in their medieval jail this old old centuries old and they've taken it over and and how interesting that now it houses these from an ancient in an ancient jail these ancient ancient artifacts because that's what amber is there it's like millions and millions of years old fossilized tree resin and just these huge huge pieces you think of Amber, I mean, I'm wearing an amber ring right now. It's green amber, 
but you think of these little small you know uh, gemstones but you know amber can be huge and i never knew that so i'm looking at all this stuff and and reading the chat labels in polish but also in english talking about uh the mythology of of what ancient people thought of amber and you know it was considered even more precious than diamonds it was a thing in the ancient world the, the romans had a mythology about it the ancient greeks you know who knew and um so that was fascinating to me and then the irish guest at the wedding in krakow that poem actually uh was honored in an international anthology the best small fictions uh 2022 anthology they had something like 3000 submissions from around the world that were published you know these uh, all these pieces were published and nominated by their editors they had like 3000 nominations and they chose 120 and i've never been in an anthology like this it's it's sort of like the pushcart prize for uh small fiction prose poems flash fiction and uh, they said this is the one we want and that was actually something that happened to me that happened directly to the narrator and i've never uh been in either a public or private conversation like that in my life So I mentioned uh, how that poem has an intensity to it and a rawness to it and a very realness to it and the the word melancholy is thrown around. But I think that we should couch this all in that they are also all coming from a source of empathy, I think. Yes, absolutely. There is no judgment in any of these pieces. There, There is no judgment call, which is the best way to write because I know there's a lot of demagogues out there not only in the political sphere the geopolitical sphere look at what's happening in Ukraine with Putin's lies how that war even started but uh and even in poetry you get that and but the to me the best poetry is where you just not only you don't tell you show without the judgmental voice and yet there thank you so much Jeff for well, mentioning that empathy because uh that that is a common theme that I wanted to run throughout the whole collection. Too. Absolutely. That, that's what resonated with me. I think there was someone, another reviewer mentioned how some of these, if not all of these together, serve as this sort of snapshot pre-pandemic, pre-lockdown. Uh, and I hope that if going through the last three years of this pandemic, if nothing else, has fortified our capacity for empathy, if nothing yeah. else. Right, right, right. And even even these characters, like you said, there are some raw pieces. I don't know how some of my close family and friends are going to dig this, you know, because there are some pieces that are, whoa. Um, uh, uh, the, e- even when I mention uh, the, the prostitutes, you know, there are a couple of prostitute pieces that come in. Or, you know, the, the guy um, watching porn, uh, the businessman from Berlin watching porn in his hotel room. I mean, you know, again, there there is no judgmental call. It's just there there they are in the world. You know, that that's that's part of uh, uh, what the world is. And I just want to embrace all of it. And uh, yeah, uh, the empathy also, but not uh, not pity. It is that you're 
you're removed but not judging and i don't know sometimes also i was thinking like oh she's kind of approaching this like a like a painter uh yes they're only half a page long but they're very measured and detailed it's like you're taking in every scene i almost wondered if you were uh on your travels like writing a lot of these at night as sort of a ruminative reflection on anything you saw during the day very good you know that's exactly what happened yeah that's exactly what happened, Jeff. Bravo on the, You should <laughs> you should be a critic for the New Yorker. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Okay, here's here's uh, what happened, and this is why I went from those long travelogue descriptions, mm-hmm. which were boring, to what I came up with these uh, these you know focused pieces. Um, I would write notes during the day as we were walking around in my little you know journal that I always you know had with me small journal and then at night again I gave myself the assignment one a day mm-hmm. so that at night I would you know write long hand you know I I'm not one that takes my iPad with me all the time to compose on it can't stand it but I would take my little you know journal and at night I would complete that piece. And then when I worked with Kathleen Maguki, there was even more revision that went on after that. But um, that is that was the process. So good, a good call, Jeff. That's how it began. Yeah. It just sounded like it was, well, I mean, it, it always calls into question for me. Like I always wonder like, what is, and I hate to get grandiose on you, but like, what is the, the purpose, uh, purpose goal of poetry? Are we, are we not all just really trying to process the entirety of life, uh, little by little by little by little? Yes. Uh, and it and it and it did seem like, but in this way, I think a lot of poetry, even prose poetry, can be. Hmm. It's very interesting, Linda, because I say that these poems have a tinge of melancholy to them, but you are the narrator. That doesn't necessarily mean that the narrator is always emotional and never really overly emotional. Uh, there's something calming about the voice the entire time, even when things seem intense. Yeah, so. right. Uh, for instance, um, good point with the Irish guest at the wedding in yeah. crack. She has, this guest has the final word. Or there is an image of the, the feeling that she... Uh, evokes in the narrator has the final say and the narrator does not come back with the response it just is there on the page in the air and to tell you the truth jeff that event actually happened i mean the whole room stopped because what can you do but stop i and and just observe and take it in but yeah i like that because i think to work against the cliche of the ugly American who's on tour or on vacation, it would seem like the American would always have something to say. But uh, I think it's so good that the narrator is often speechless and just listening or observing. Right, right, right. And you know, this is what I wanted to get at. I wanted this collection to be a reflection of not the know-it-all, but this voice that is not part of that landscape. It is the other, it is the foreigner, it is the alien. And how many times in the American consciousness, we are not that. We are the people who know everything about everybody 
And no one has that. No one has that omniscient, you know, view of everything. Um, unfortunately, right now in the world, Vladimir Putin thinks he does. And there, another little segue here, there is one piece about two Russian women in Lucerne, Switzerland. And that is from reality, too. And um, they acted like the ugly Americans in the past. And so it's like how things change, but how things are still the same insofar as living in a foreign landscape and just uh, uh, respecting where you are. And I think uh, hopefully the, the voice in Bone Country, this narrative voice really does, uh, they're, they're in that landscape and they're totally immersed and they respect what's going on around them. And I, I hope that comes through too. Can I ask, what did you, when you look back, maybe, and maybe this is a case by case, or if you can look back and remember your collective experience, what did you find, and especially about tapping back into to this form, the, the prose poem, after, after so many years since, since exploring the, the history of the body, what did you find most fulfilling about writing these poems? And, and, and is that the right word for it, Fulf- fulfillment? Or did you find some enlightenment too? Hopefully that's what poetry does. Yeah, um, I, was, I was humbled. I was surprised. I think that was the, I, I didn't think I could, you know, write like this. And it really uh, took me out of my comfort zone of writing with line breaks and stanzas and writing in form, either Sestinas or Villanelles. And I was, uh, I was more than pleasantly surprised. I'm thinking, wow, this can happen with me. So uh, maybe uh, that's another way of saying, you know, enlightenment. But it really was this connection with, I didn't think I could do this, especially after those failed, boring travelogues that I was doing. And um, because I don't think of myself as a prose writer at all, I write a lot of emails, a lot of letters, a lot of, you know, that kind of stuff. But when I think of like writing a short, even a short story, let alone a novel, I'm thinking, oh, I couldn't do that. You know, that just is too big of a, uh, like, I think of novel. I mean, I could never write war and peace. I could barely get through it, you know, but that's how I view prose. And uh, someone said, who's a prose writer, actually it was Judith Guest who wrote Ordinary People. We were on a panel once together at a university and someone asked me, would I ever write like uh, a short story or a novel? Oh no, no, it's too hard. And they asked her, the novelist, uh, Judith Guest, would you ever write poetry? She says, oh no, no, it's too hard. If you write a 400 page novel and you mess up on the second paragraph of, you know, page 239, no one's going to notice. But if you write a one, two, three page poem and you mess up a line, you're going to know it. So I never thought of it that way. But anyway, uh, the whole idea of, of getting out of my comfort zone, doing something that I never thought of before, that I never thought I would accomplish. I think that was the most um, enlightening, surprising, uh, fulfilling thing. I, and, and the fact that it's been so well received is, is just icing on the cake. Finally, given, I, I would love to hear what you are, since it's on the, since it's coming out this spring, uh, I'd love to hear what you, 
what you hope readers will take away from this. Uh, but even more than that, uh, given your your history with the Contemporary Writers series, well, what, maybe what do you hope fellow writers or new up-and-coming aspiring writers might take away from this collection? Okay. Well, to tell you the truth, the book is out now. Uh, it was early. It was, wasn't supposed to be out until March 15, but I've been asked to go to the AWP, the Writers' Conference, next week in Seattle, and Quarterstone Press told me, and they lived up to their promise, that the book will be out so that they want me to do a book signing. Excellent. And so uh, uh, it is out as of uh, March 1. I, I saw uh, uh, a, a little uh, email on that, so I'm uh, very pleased. So um, what I would like this collection to do, uh, looking at the, the first part of your question, what it does for the reader is just to bring that empathy because in this world, and I don't know what you think, Jeff, or some of your listeners, but uh, in, in my life, I have never seen so much strife and division and mean-spiritedness. I mean, like, just mean stuff. Uh, even happening in a, in a personal way uh, when, when, I, when I look out, you know, at, at the world. And I, I, I just don't get it. And I'm hoping that this is one way to say, look at the world and how much we are alike. And maybe that's too simplistic of a phrase, but how much we share, how much we share, whether it be grief or sorrow or happiness or death or joy, we're, we're all, you know, again, I don't want to use the cliche, we're all in the same boat, but we're all on this same planet. And uh, when you are, when you are born into this world, you have to take the good, the bad, and the ugly. And in my life now, I'm getting older, um, I'm seeing uh, people die. Friends that I love very much or, or uh, uh, friends of friends or spouses of friends. And this is what we sign up for. And everyone has to go through that. I remember one time I was on a panel and I won't mention everyone on the panel, but it was a, a writing panel. And this uh, uh, one guy stood up and had a rant about how rough his life was. And he wouldn't stop. And I said, you know, we all have that stuff. Everyone in this room, you're not the only one. Don't think, don't think paranoid thoughts. It's not only you. Everybody in this room, everyone on this panel has a hard time or a cross to bear or joy in their life. And it's just the human condition. And I hope this book will, will show the readers and the audience that we're all in this together. And look at the, look at the, the sorrow of the Irish guest in the wedding in Krakow. Look at her sorrow. And yet she's still there at a wedding, which is a joyful celebration but she can't let go of that grief and she's going to show the whole room that grief and look at her, you know, have, have a sympathy, have empathy because we are all there. It's not just the, 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 the wedding guest. We are all that wedding guest. And so that's, that was my, my, you know, answer to your first part of the question. The second part about the contemporary writer series, um, 
we are uh, we are now in our 26th season. We are highlighting Indigenous voices. Uh, we had oh Angeline Bollet, um, novelist for Firekeeper's Daughter. She uh, uh, started our season uh, in the fall. She was brilliant. Uh, we have uh, um, C. Marie Furman coming up in April. Uh, a phenomenal uh, uh, Native American poet. And then we had Anton Chur, uh, who is a Native American essayist, activist, uh, ecologist. And he uh, read for us um, in think, uh, in uh, February. And uh, so uh, what we're doing now for the Contemporary Writer Series is having thematic years. Now, keep in mind, um, I founded this series in 97, but I retired a few years ago from the programming committee. So I'm not, you know, I'm retired. I'm not on the programming committee anymore. But um, we have these um, uh, thematic years, the thematic seasons, and maybe there will be a season where we uh, concentrate on prose poetry, flash fiction, microfiction, or uh, the um, the subject matter that's uh, um, developed in in Bowen Country. But again, I could make the suggestion. But since I'm uh, you know retired, I'm not uh, on the you know I don't make all the decisions anymore or part of the decisions. Let's say I'm not a, a one of the voices on the committee. But um, I think that's a very interesting question. Um, how it uh, how it can kind of reflect what happens in programming for the Contemporary Writer Series. We'll see. Well, perhaps someone out there is having that same writer's block that you once had in a prose <laughs> prose poem could break them out of it, maybe. That's right. That's right. And he, listen, um, what's wonderful about a, the prose poem, it is so slippery. And some people don't like that. Some people don't like the fact that, what is it? And I remember, I think, when Charles Simic won the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry. He did it for his book of prose poems. And people were upset. Well, wait a minute. You know, what, what, what's that about? And it's like, you know, lighten up, folks. Lighten up. And um, uh, because, uh, you know, these pieces can be so many things. You know, they're kind of like little um, uh, chameleons. And I think that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So I would uh, recommend for any poet, for any novelist, for any short story writer, too, if they're in a block, be kind to yourself. Uh, give yourself the little exercise of a one-page prose poem being very centered, very laser-focused, directed, and see what happens. Linda, I'm so excited about this collection. I can't wait for everyone to encounter oh, it. And I really do think that writers could get a lot out of this out of this collection. Bone Country is the latest, and it's out now, which is which was wonderful news to me, and I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, just a few days ago. And yeah. may I have some a promotion here? Uh, Literati Magazine will do the first a major book launch in person, and maybe it'll be on Zoom too, I hope so, but um, it's going to be, I think, Wednesday, March 29 okay. at 6.30, and I will be joined in conversation with my good friend, Diane DeSillis. So I'll be reading first for about uh, 30 minutes. We'll be having a 15, 20-minute uh, discussion about the book, and then open it up for Q&A like the last... 10 or 15 minutes of the program. So uh, everyone in the Southeast Michigan area, 
that's happening. And then there's going to be the West Michigan book launch at Schuler Books on April 20th at 7 o'clock. And that's going to also be in person. Hopefully another a uh, lot of other Zoom things happening. But yeah, that's that's the two major book launches. Wonderful. Well, we will link to that in our show notes, information about the upcoming event uh, with Diane. And we'll even link back to a previous episode from our archives when we had a conversation with Diane. We love Diane, yes. too. Linda, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been a pleasure to talk oh, to you. You're welcome. You're welcome. And that was our chat with Linda Nemec Foster, who has published several collections of poetry over the years. Her latest is Bone Country, out on Cornerstone Press. And we'll have more information in our show notes. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of A Little Too Quiet. It's the Ferndale Library podcast, and it's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. Thanks, as always, to John Duffy, who provides us music to open and close each episode. If you want to support this podcast, go to ferndalefriends.org. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. If you leave a comment, too, it could help us find more listeners. We'll be back next week with more. Thanks for listening. 